host, Caitlin, and I'm here with my co-host, Corby. Hello. And today we are discussing cultural appropriation, especially in the art education world. This is a big topic, and it's a really important topic. It's a very big topic and a very important topic. I think it would be good to state why we want to have this episode as well. So Sure, yeah. I, because we don't have video either, I guess you can look in our profile picture for this podcast as well, but our appearance, like how we are going through the world. We're two white teachers, and I think that that's important for us to note as we are in a position of power in our classroom, and this is a really big topic, and we need to be mindful of how we interact and move through the world and how not everyone moves the world in the same way that we do or that maybe we get to and so this topic can hold a lot of weight but i feel like a lot of white teachers need to talk about this between each other and also in groups of other white teachers to be better and be mindful of cultural appropriation yeah well and i remember last year in one of my um, studies I read there, it was a really large percentage. I don't remember the exact percentage, but it was like 70 or 80% of teachers in the United States are middle class, like middle age ish white women. And our, the diversity of our students is increasing every year. And now it's, we're getting to the point where we, where white uh, students are not the majority in classrooms. And so we, we have a diverse demographic of students that is kind of a mismatch between teachers and students as far as, you know, diversity and um, race and ethnicity and everything. So I think it's really important when we have, well, even if we are just teaching all white students, for example, but it is important to address, to reflect on how we are teaching and the types of artists that we're covering. But what I'm saying is there's a mismatch and it's important for us because so many teachers are white women, we have to do the work. Yes. I Yeah, I think, oh, I think it's important to note too that we're not, in this episode, we're not going to be talking about the systems that make that the case, like why the numbers are the way they are for the people who are teachers. We're specifically look specifically looking at what is cult- cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation in the art world and how we're either doing that and how we can stop appropriating and how we can be better about it. I think it's important to note too, I think our fine art background, we are talking about a lot of different cultures when we're studying art from around the world. We're making art as artists as our own voice. And I guess I can't speak for you, Caitlin, but I just feel like when I've been coming across this topic in the art education world, I feel like we're at a point where I'm thinking, oh, okay, other people seem like they're doing the work, like we should all be on the same page. Like it seems like, okay, we get it, but not everyone does get it. And I don't think that everyone is doing this, like the critical thinking, the reflection of like, oh, am I actually amplifying other voices in an appropriate way 
or is it hurtful? And that's another reason why we wanted to have this conversation for this episode, because it can be really hard to distinguish what is okay and what isn't okay. But if we don't talk about it, then it isn't getting changed and we aren't trying to rethink what we're doing. I think that's the key too. I just came across, I have not listened to this podcast and I think it's an organization. And a long story short, I came across it through another cool thing that I follow on Instagram, but it is called Rethink, R-E-T-H-I-C. And it is diversity, equity, and inclusion training. And it's an organization and their framework is all around rethinking where it is like, hey, let's not like call people out. Let's not like throw them off the island and like cancel culture, but let's try to figure out how can we have these conversations and highlight ways to rethink and do things better so we can grow. And I think that's a really good mindset to have. Yeah, I I agree with that. I know I, going back to what you said earlier, I don't think everybody's doing this work. And I think part of, I know that part of the hang up there is that they are feeling defensive about, oh, like I just can't teach any cultures anymore. I've literally heard teachers say that. Mm, um, yeah. Like, like I just... Sorry. Yeah. Just like, exactly. Yeah. And I don't know who made them feel like defensive about it. I don't know why they got that, like where they got that idea in the first place, or if it was just their natural reaction to it. I do think we have to go about it in a way that is inviting people to think about things, like to rethink and to reflect and to think about things and how they're doing things, but without calling them out. I totally agree on that. Although I know it can, once you do understand it, it can be kind of easy to be like, oh, this is not cool and just like shut things down. But we have to do it in a way that is inviting people into the conversation instead of like pushing them out of the conversation, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you bring up, so with the... with the last thing you just said of inviting people into the conversation versus excluding them what we're getting into this territory is like when we might see a project that someone's doing get posted and it's like ooh, that is not mindful of this culture's beliefs or their practices and that's not okay like we need to rework that that's what you're calling like calling out like something like that Yeah, or just even discussing in PD or in the classroom, like in the schools, like when you see another teacher, what they're doing, or yeah, posting online, but basically trying to invite them into the conversation, the like other the people that are appropriating, trying to invite them into the conversation rather than just saying, hey, that's not cool. You can't do that. Yeah. Like, because that then makes them feel really defensive and which at the same time, like I, you want to kind of say, Hey, that's not cool. But, and you can do that. I think in just a way that invites them in the conversation. So I don't know, but some people, I, I have talked to people, art teachers who have gotten really defensive and I don't know why they, they are. So I don't know if they have been called out in the past or, they are just hearing the conversation and the passion from people that do understand 
what, you know, cultural appropriation is and isn't, and they, it scares them because they don't know, they don't understand, or they don't know what, where to go with it. Like they don't know what to do with it. And I've heard that from multiple art teachers. Um, like, okay, I get that we need to be careful about this. So how do I go about it? Yeah. Because they don't want to just stop teaching other art cultures, like other cultures in art. Yes. I think this would be a good time to get into some of our philosophies and or practice and discussion on how people can go about that because that is really tricky territory. And should we first talk about like what our definition of appropriation is? Yeah. 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 To define cultural appropriation, I got this from, her name is Rosita Worrell. I hope I'm saying that last name correctly. And she works at the SE Alaska Heritage Center. Uh, The key factor in cultural appropriation relates to power relationships between expropriated and the expropriator. So it's an imbalance of power between a minority culture and members of the dominant culture and is often a byproduct of colonialism and oppression. So essentially, any culture that is a minority is getting taken advantage of and the oppressor is using ideas, images, uh, essentially someone's work and taking credit or inspiration and then creating their own thing and then saying it's theirs and it's not. It's originated and it's offensive and... It's not giving credit to the original creator that happens to be of minority culture. And that's one example of the way that it could be appropriated. Another is like saying, oh, this is what another culture does and giving them credit in a way, but especially in art education saying, oh, we're going to make art like the Native Americans and like generalizing and then, yeah. and then doing it in a way that it might be something that is actually regalia or something that is uh, religious or uh, spiritual, like something important to them that is, what's the word I'm looking for? Sacred. Sacred. Thank you. And then having students try to recreate that with like toilet paper tubes, for example, like a totem pole. It, it That's oh, yeah. where... That's where it gets obvious appropriation at that point. There's also, I think, less obvious appropriation, but those obvious examples are what come to mind when I think about just defining it. Yeah, so I was going to say, I feel like I gave like a textbook definition and then you gave some really great visuals on what that can look like in the art classroom. And I think that's where it is tricky though is, and I, or I, it's tricky and I understand where people might backtrack or feel like, oh, I just don't know what to do anymore because there are so many different cultures and there are so many different things to keep in mind. But I think that that's essential. If you don't know about something, at least my philosophy is, you need to find out. Like you need to do the work and do the research to understand, which is actually how I got to the alaskaheritage.org situation is because I wanted to teach And I still want to, but moving to the Pacific Northwest and seeing all of the form line design and all of these amazing art exhibitions. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. This is relevant to this area. Let's do a lesson on this. 
But before I did that, I was like, all right, I need to be mindful. Is this appropriate? Like, yes, it's widely available, but if we create some of these things, is that okay? Am I offending anyone in the clan or the nation? And I don't know, I'm not familiar with that. So I had to do research and it took me down a rabbit hole of learning a lot about systems that I was unaware of. And I don't feel comfortable to talk about those things yet because I wanna make sure that I'm doing it respectfully because uh, like, I didn't know that individual images, at least specifically in some of the clans that I've been learning about, individual images aren't owned by the individual, it's owned by the clan. Or the family and then there are certain parts of it that are sacred and it goes into spiritual practices and beliefs that if you're using those i mean there's just so much that goes to it that it it is it's offensive and there's no need we can talk about it but there's no need for us to recreate it because that's not appropriate for students to do they're not connecting with it and it's completely disrespecting all of the beliefs of that culture what I have learned over the last even just year of learning about this topic is that I keep this keeps coming up time and time again. I don't think recreating Mm-mm. or yes, I agree, like preach. <laughs> I think recreating art or um especially if it's something sacred, but recreating something that someone else has done in especially from a different culture is appropriation like no matter how you want to look at it recreating it is appropriation that's literally the definition of appropriation so when people say oh I just can't teach that anymore that's not true because we can teach about like you can teach about this what you what did you say was the group that uh, or the history of your area. The designs are called formline design. But what I want to point out about this too is that I have a hard time too with the, like I understand not recreating it and I don't want to recreate the design, but using it as an inspiration. I was even hesitant about that because I wanted to make sure, okay, are these yeah. characters or symbols, even if we use them as inspiration, is that disrespectful? Like I don't want to cross yeah. those lines. That's a good point. But I feel like a yeah. lot of people still don't understand that like, recreating something yeah, yeah like, culture like exactly is appropriation. so if in the art in the art education room like in the art room if you are recreating something if you're having your students recreate something from another culture that is appropriation and especially if you're you know not understanding what that is that you're creating and the students don't understand what it is they're creating and they're using materials that are like not at all what the original work would have been like the whole toilet paper or paper towel tube and totem pole situation like that's just so it's just goes beyond but I would say that's like a baseline of like if you don't know definitely don't recreate something because it, 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 I mean, I don't know. Do you agree with that? Cause I feel like that's where, that's my starting point of that's what I've gained from all these conversations in the last few years is that's not what to do. You can still learn about the culture. You can still look at artwork from other cultures. Cause people say, art teachers will say, well, I love art history. I want to teach art history. I want to teach other artists and cultures. 
you can do that. Just don't have your students recreate it. And make sure you do your research when you are teaching about other cultures. Make sure you're using the correct language. Make sure you yeah. have the, your history down. Make sure you're showing not only artists from 500 years ago or 100 years ago, but also current living contemporary artists from those cultures. And my last thing about that is that this is what to do that I feel like I've learned is you can, so you can learn about it. You can look at other artists from those cultures and then have your students respond to the art or the artist in a way that makes sense to them. That is based on their culture or their personal experience. And that's in, in a very vague way. That's what I've gleaned from this, all of these conversations on cultural appropriation. Yeah. So I wanted to go back to when you're like recreating. Okay. So I want to go back to that because I think we can break that into two. There's like two separate lanes and then kind of define more of what you got into in the last part, because I do agree with the last part. I think at least I remember this too and not saying that it's okay, but in studying for our bachelor's of fine arts, we did have, and I try to distinguish this at least for my students too. We did have lessons where we would look at, let's say a famous artist and you would copy their painting to learn how you're doing the technique. So like, for example, I took a portrait painting class and the teacher had us look at Da Vinci and we had to recreate a couple of paintings and study the way that Da Vinci painted in order to understand the technique. So I know like the New York Studio School has you look at master's works and that's a whole other situation, the whole term masters and who deems that those people to be that but let's just use that for the example right now you look at master's works and you're recreating like how did they do this brush stroke how did they get this line here what compositional elements are they using and i think depending that's where i was like Ugh. situationally if you're using your awareness that can be okay depending on how you're trying to learn a technique or a skill but I do agree with you in the, if you're appropriating something that's not from your own culture or your own personal practice, that's someone else's and it doesn't mean anything to you, that's when you're in dangerous territory. So when you said like you're yeah. recreating the, the a totem pole with toilet paper rolls and if you're a student sitting in a class and your teacher's having you do that and you're like, I don't. I don't connect with this. Like, I don't, we're making this just because we have to and it's not part of my practice. Like, that doesn't make any sense. I think about the, and we've talked about this, I think before too, like Dios de los Mertos and how if you're talking about that as a lesson or for the time of the year, <clears throat> excuse me, or like for the time of the year when that is celebrated, it's okay to talk about that. It's okay to teach it, but having students make uh, key objects that go with that celebration isn't appropriate. Like if you're making an ofrendas or you're making the um, sugar skull, it's not appropriate if you your students, even if you do it, I, I guess that might be a little more dangerous here too. Well, let's just use the students as a frame of reference or like their lens. If the students, if that's not in their personal life and that's not what they're practicing and what they believe in, then they should not be recreating those objects because that is 
taking and stealing from another culture that has no significance to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's where I think there's those two lanes. And I just wanted to bring up that example to give people a clear cut example of those situations. Yeah, I think that's a really great point about bringing up. But I remember one of those lessons in, you know, our bachelor's but they it literally said it was an appropriation lesson. Like, right, it which wasn't is, saying... But it was like, appropriation. Like, it's still using that term. So that's why I wanted to distinguish, like, oh, okay, appropriation yeah. in that background so, can be okay. But, like, let's differentiate, like, this is the dangerous well, territory and this is a different... That's a different thing. Sure. But I don't think... Okay. That's a, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't think about that specifically because for this conversation because I teach elementary students and I'm not having my elementary students appropriate work of like master artists. So right, I don't I and maybe some elementary teachers do, I do. and maybe some middle school teachers start to do that at high school, but in elementary, like I'm not expecting them to recreate a van gogh painting because a they don't have the skills for that and like they're not even close to the skills for that and b that's not well i try not to teach dead white guys anyway (laughs) right but i think so that's i did want to bring it up because i do think in trying to understand where people are coming from when maybe they're they're turned off or they get defensive i do think that that mentality that philosophy is more of like an old school thinking And I don't say old school in the sense of people's age who are listening, but I think of old school in the sense of the system of teaching art and training artists. I think that people have a lens of looking at, let's even say like Aboriginal art. I want to teach my kids, no matter what the age is, I want to teach them about Aboriginal paintings. And so I'm going to have them recreate by looking at these Aboriginal paintings as inspiration. And we're going to use the same technique that they use. While that sounds good on the surface, if you don't know about the spiritual process and you don't know why they're using the technique and you haven't researched if it's even okay to recreate that technique, then you're not aware of if you're crossing cultural boundaries. Yeah. So I think that's why I want to differentiate because I think people are still looking at it in that other frame of thought of like, oh, well, this is just the way that we learn and it it can be a way that we learn, but for certain things, not when looking at other cultures and trying and to recreate to that. and duplicate. That's the problem. Duplicate. Yeah. And it comes also down to the, the very first thing, the definition that you said, it comes down to the power dynamic because why is it okay? And this, the, I'm not asking, I'm, so why is it okay to replicate or duplicate like a Van Gogh painting, but not the Aboriginal art it's because white men have never been the minority and they've never been, I mean, well, I guess that's a generalization too, but white European white men that are of a European like ethnicity, not Jewish, because I know that that is different, have not been historically colonized and taken advantage of. And so they have the the power that they are the ma- the majority the power that they're doing the colonizing in the past so i feel like that also 
in a way, frees them up to like, okay, let's look at their artwork and let's look at, like, let's try to see these techniques, especially because they've been considered the master artists for the past however many years. Also problematic, but yeah. It is also problematic, we agree, which, and I try not to, like, just, I definitely don't focus on those artists, but I think that in the past, people have, they have used those artists to look at and we haven't thought of it as cultural appropriation, but I think that's because they are not historically minorities. Minorities. Yes. And they're not, they're not, um, that's, that's the word, but there's another word I was thinking of too, but basically they're not being colonized or being, um, you know, dehumanized. Like they are the manipulators. I, yeah. And I think that's what bring going back to like, because they're masters, because they're not the minority and all of those key bullet points, we've just, I think weirdly to me, it seems weird. We've weirdly accepted. Yes. Like you can get away with like, yes, let's do a lesson on Van Gogh and we're going to recreate exactly and like, look at his technique. And it's like, that's acceptable, but in a way that is still also appropriating but it goes into that technical side of like, oh, well, we're learning the technique. But it, it is appropriating. It, but yeah, it is still like, oh, we can get but away with it. It's not cultural appropriation in a negative way because it doesn't actually, it doesn't actually discriminate or like devalue them at all. Yeah, you're learning the technique. But I think the tricky thing, and it doesn't mean that it's not possible, but the tricky and thing that we need to be mindful of is when you're looking at other artists in different a different culture than your upbringing, you can still use those artists for inspiration and look at the technique or how they're creating their work. You just have to be extra mindful of if there are other beliefs or things that go into it that do make it sacred or would make it disrespectful for you to recreate. I think that's where people get scared of trying to do that or trying to talk about other cultures and other artists for that reason because those master artists it is like we've just done this for so long and we just like know it's okay and we're just gonna stick with it well and it's familiar and I mean it's been accepted for so long that they are the master artists even though (laughs) they're all dead white men and it it's what also has dominated the art education field for how long like 200 years so uh, but I think as we have ev- eventually where, you know, more people are trying to teach diversity in the art room and that's great. They're also finding themselves in trouble because of getting into cultural appropriation. So it's like, it's great. We're trying to teach diversity. It's great. We're trying to show or not teach show diversity. It's great. We're trying to represent other people and not just these master artists but we have to do it in a way that is respectful and not trying to like have our students recreating these, especially if they're from minority cultures. Yeah. And I think that's what lends culturally responsive teaching, culturally relevant teaching so well, because that's centering student voices and talking about an artist who is maybe from a different culture than the students that are sitting in your classroom that can be done in a way that you're having students learn about something new, learning about a way that someone else views the world, their background and experiences, 
And then your students are responding in ways that are personal and relevant to them. And that's a, I mean, that's a game changer, but that's also, I mean, that's literally, to me, that was the way we were taught art in our um, studio art experience. That as an artist, your voice is centered. It's all personal. It's all, it all comes back to yourself as an artist. So to me, that practice of culturally relevant teaching or culturally responsive teaching is centering student voices so that it can empower them while also empowering other artists all around us. It just seems like the perfect balance. Yep, exactly. And where it gets problematic is when white people, myself included, this has happened to me, where we have been so ingrained in appropriation for so long and not knowing that it was like thinking it was normal that what is our voice is appropriation. Mm. And so you have to, if you find yourself in that situation where you're like, wow, I don't know, like my culture is loving, like my culture is my family grew up doing this and it, but that wasn't necessarily right. Basically, we all need to reflect and think, what is my culture? What is my voice? And does it, is it really mine? Or is it something I've been told, something I've been taught that I actually need to relearn or unlearn? On that topic of reflection, which I think is a, a great part of this practice, being mindful of what we're doing when we're showing up for our students and how we're showing up for our students. The resource you mentioned, wow, it seems so long ago, Caitlin, uh, like many episodes ago of the scorecard for checking your um, teaching practices and checking like which artists are represented in your curriculum. What does your um, image database look like? Like in the references you're showing students like videos or examples what representation do you have? I think that is such a good way to start this process. And I also, I haven't used this activity yet. I have it in my, I'm doing a little motion of like my little filing, my little digital database. Uh, Too Cool for Middle School is her handle. She is a ELA and history teacher in California. She has an awesome, she's on Teachers Pay Teachers. Her Instagram and YouTube is fantastic too. Uh, She has an awesome cultural reflection lesson. And I think, if I remember correctly, she uses it at the beginning of the year. But it would be really cool for any teacher to do, no matter if you're an art teacher or what classroom. And I mean, like I said, she's not an art teacher. Um, But it's like a little worksheet and it's about getting to know your own culture, like how you're talking about Caitlin of like, what do I like? And what are these systems that maybe I've grown up with or why do I think the way that I think? It's just like point blank. Like it's just like it has a prompt and then you're like filling it in and it's a nice way to just like kind of check and frame, okay, well, what am I bringing to the table as a teacher? And then, I mean, she's doing her activity with her students for a lesson on their own individual culture. But I think that's something that we should do as teachers for sure, if you haven't already done it, but also continuously, like just checking ourselves. Yeah, I mean, that's part of being any good teacher in the first place is like reflecting on yourself, your biases, your practice and trying to improve. And that's part of the whole teaching process. 
and our background and how we teach well especially in art how we teach other cultures like that's um super important to reflect on and I think you mentioned earlier too like is it harmful or is it helpful and I think that is a super important question to ask ourselves um and we might not know something's harmful because it's so low-key like it's not really obvious reflecting on that and maybe even talking to other people about that is I think how we can we can question ourselves and our work I uh I know that my very first year teaching I made a lot of mistakes like a lot of mistakes with even appropriation and I was going at it through the lens of like I want to teach all these art history um all these different artists all the I was trying to be in my, in my mind my mindset was like I want to show diversity I want to I was so adamant that I don't teach or don't only teach like dead white men that I was wanting to show diversity in the art room and not just diversity but like all sorts of different cultures in art history and then what do I do I freaking culturally appropriate and I realized this after the fact and I like cringe now when I think about my first year and all the different lessons I did and but I almost want to redo that whole year like teach that all again but do it in a culturally responsive lens because since then I haven't gone back to teach those lessons I've been focusing on the elements of art and other things that are more I don't know less about other cultures um or less focused on that do you have any do you have any ways that from that year I know you said you've been teaching like the more of the elements of art but upon that reflection have you noticed that you have generated like different lessons or ways to approach topics based on that giant chunk of reflection because I think that that is so key like we're not perfect we're humans and I know it's so cliche but the Maya Angelou Angelou quote do your best until you know better and then do better something like that I think that is so key and if once you find that you're you're changing like you're like okay yeah that's super cringy and now we're gonna do this and it's gonna be different and I think that that's awesome yeah, but that's also why I think I'm I'm glad that I've had that realization and everything. And I mean, it came through like lots of work of like research and listening, lots of listening. But I think that's also why like if we were to just do cancel culture to anyone who's done cultural appropriation, like I'd be in that group. Like I would not be a good teacher anymore. You know what I mean? But inviting people in that are trying their best you know everybody hopefully is trying their best to be teaching art and teaching art history but like just showing some different ways to go about it so where it is respectful and it is appropriate um and I guess to answer your question I haven't actually gone through like every single lesson and like rewritten them or anything like that but I have thought about who how would I do that differently now in general, kind of like what I said earlier, 
I would totally enjoy teaching about these different artists and cultures again, but then leave it to my students to, and to give them prompts to see how can they respond to this idea in a way that makes sense to them. For example, well, I guess for the Dia de los Muertos example, which I did do that my first year, I don't know though, because I'm trying not to teach holidays anymore. That's good. I mean, I say that. <laughs> I'm. You can cut the laugh. I say that's good from my personal experience of not ever teaching holidays. So, like, I'm on that page. So I think that that's great. Well, like, I've never done Christmas, for example, or like Easter, or. I've actually not done a lot of Christian holidays, but I did, but see in the, in the vein of wanting to show diversity, I was like, I did teach Dia de los Muertos and did a lesson on that. And I did do Lunar New Year and did a lesson on that. And I'm just like, Ooh, that's cringy. Cause I've never wanted to teach like Christian holidays because well, for a lot of reasons, but, but then I, I felt like a total hypocrite when I realized that, you know, I was still teaching some holidays. They just weren't like Christian holidays. Okay. On the topic of not, or teaching, you're teaching holidays, but you're noticing, or you're noticing that you're trying to avoid like one mainstream holiday, but then showing other holidays is still technically teaching holidays. I feel like I fit into the category, like I haven't taught any holidays at all, but I feel like I am more in the avoidance category on this topic because I don't, I haven't found a way to go about it in an appropriate way and giving access to lots of voices instead of just centering one and then still feeling like I'm pushing that one agenda. For example, like if it was like Lunar New Year, I would still feel bad if it's like, oh, that's all we're talking about when there's all these other holidays going on. I don't know if that's kind of where you're coming from on that. Because what do you mean all these other holidays going on? Like, there's lots of different cultures that celebrate New Year, not just, like, oh, Lunar yeah. New Year. So then it's like, oh, okay, well, how is to me, I'm like, how is that fair? If we're only talking about this one, then I'm not giving access to other students' holidays who might be, they might be celebrating something right now in a different vein. Uh, so for me, that's why I just have totally avoided holidays. However... Moving forward, what I've done with artists and topics, I think is what I want to do on the topic of potential holidays or different things like that in the future. For artists, I have also skirted around a lot of artists that people would deem masters or usually fall in the dead white guy, white guy category because if we're doing a lesson on, let's say like watercolor techniques, I'm not just going to pick one artist or like one art movement, but I will pick a group. Like I try to feature like three or four different artists and then have kids explore each artist and respond. Okay, well, what do you like about their artwork or which artist do you connect with? Or can you find a watercolor artist that you like and looking at like their work um, or the techniques that they're using, then have them try to pick out, okay, well, what technique do you see that they're using that we're talking about in art? So I've been trying to focus on showing multiple 
artists that are contemporary so that kids can identify and connect with one that they feel like they connect with the most. So that's been my practice thus far. And I think I'm going to push that into that, um, like special events, holidays, that category, because I don't show up for those topics because I just feel bad. I feel guilty because it's like, there's so many holidays going on. How is it fair for me? the one teacher, the one person in power to pick the one that we should talk about. And yeah, yeah, I go down that rabbit hole. And that's always how I, I have felt about like Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter or whatever. It's like, ugh, that's cringy to me because I'm the one that has the authority. And yet, A, there's so many other holidays. And there's also, what if there's lots of kids in our class that or classes since we have so many that you know do not identify with those holidays at all and I think assuming that they do like basically making assumptions about our students is it can lead to some dangerous beliefs and practices same thing with cultural appropriation I mean making assumptions like okay for example at my school I have a lot of um, students that are Hispanic but assuming that they're Mexican, for example, and that they celebrate Dia de los Muertos is wrong because not even even if they are Mexican, not all Mexicans celebrate Dia de los Muertos. Just like not everybody in like the United States celebrates Easter or something. Yeah. Um, and then also, what if they're not even Mexican? Like what if they're from El Salvador or uh Puerto Rico or somewhere else and they definitely don't celebrate Dia de los Muertos because that's not even a thing there so assuming that they know what I'm talking about or like that this will this will relate to them is just wrong in so many levels yeah I'm so glad you brought that up because that's something I wanted to talk about too is that that generalization and assumption is maybe with good intentions, but it is super harmful if we're just trying to pick artists or topics that we think, oh, because our kids look a certain way or our students look this way, they must like this and not taking the time to get to know what is their background, what are they actually into. Um, And that is why I think, at least for me, I've really enjoyed having the variety of artists that I present when we're learning a lesson because then the kids are really showing me, oh, okay, who am I? Who are you? The kids are showing me who they are connecting with because there's a variety of artists on the table for a topic versus just one artist in particular. And it doesn't seem as narrow for them. And I think that it helps me learn quicker too about what they're interested in as a learning artist. And it's not changing who I'm picking for them because I'm going to be putting in multiple artists for our conversation and our topic. Um, It just helps you get to know your students so much more that way. Not just assuming. That's also not assuming. Yeah. That's also like a big part of the culturally responsive pedagogy is that you are getting to know your students and letting them respond to these topics with their own experiences, their own identities, their own cultures, their own ethnicity, like everything. And that instead of saying, hey, make this and look at this and do this, recreate this, 
you are you're more of a guide on the side like hey what do you think about this topic and then letting them respond with their ideas and then that also gets you get to know them better individually because they're all going to have different ideas and they're developing their own voice as an artist too they're not just regurgitating recreating and following like that assembly line of okay i'm doing this because you told me to do it it flips the table so now they are really getting to exercise their own ideas and creativity as well yeah so basically avoiding generalizations avoiding assumptions but getting to know our students on an individual level, which I know is hard. Like I have 300 something students at one school and then 250 something students at another school. And it's hard to get to know, you know, every single student individually. Um, But if you're going to be teaching through a culturally responsive lens or to try to avoid cultural appropriation, that's part of the work is to not be making assumptions and generalizations. So yeah, I think I don't know if that makes sense. I think it does. I think that's pretty key in this whole topic too. And I think it's, I say it's hard, but really, it's not like we have to do the work to get to know them. It's we give them the space to tell us who they are. I think that's a really good way to phrase it. So I, when I was saying that, I was thinking it is hard, but like, I'm not going up to every single student, like asking all these questions. Like I'm presenting this as an open ended lesson. And then they have this space to just explore and respond and tell us, and we can learn through looking at their artwork and then asking them questions after. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I love a lot of things about being an art teacher. That's one of the things I like the most or what makes, I mean, that's why I like being an artist too. Just looking at their work gives us so much insight to them and their experiences that other teachers don't have access to because we are the space that does really give them a chance to show showcase their voice. And I think that that's so critical. I think that's a huge way to get to know your students is just being present with them while they're making and really looking at what they're making. Yeah. I know showing artists and teaching cultures from around the world might be really important to some teachers, but, and a lot of teachers, a lot of art teachers love art history and everything. But like, if you look at whether it's hurting or helping, like, and you need to take a step back from that in order to rethink how you're doing everything, Like what's really more important is how we are affecting our students versus like, oh, are we making sure we teach all these different artists or all these different cultures? Like, let's take a step back and see like, what's the more important question? Like how are our students interpreting what we're teaching and how is it affecting them? And what what are we doing to our students? Yeah, I think... To me, especially with getting into secondary education, just at the middle school level, um, I know, well, not in all high schools, but I think that that's more of an access point of art history is when you sign up for art in high school and then definitely college. 
And to me, I think about if the kids want to know it, if a student's interested, they're going to ask if you provide them that opportunity to ask, like, what are you interested in or what do you want to know? Or they're going to look it up. Like, we're living in a digital age. They have access to so much. And with that, they have access to all of these TikTokers and all of these Instagrammers. Wow, I I sound old. But those are the people that the kids are bringing to me that they actually care about. No one's asking me like, hey, do you know who Merritt Oppenheimer is? Like, no, like they don't know who that is. Not that that's not important, but it's just like, it's not necessarily relatable to them anymore. Yeah, and that's okay. I think, and that's where, for me at least, my philosophy is it comes with a balance. But to me, it's about balance. And if my students are coming in and they're excited about some video game streamer or a, a cool DIY art making reel on Instagram or TikTok and that's their interest and that's their access point, then that's awesome. And why not let that have a moment and let the students have time to explore that interest? Because that's what's going to keep them more entertained than maybe talking about someone who lived in ancient times or even just I don't know, 100 years ago, it just doesn't connect the same with all students. And that's not a problem. It's not saying that they might not get interested in it later. And it's not saying don't expose them to different things. But at the same time, I feel like at least a lot of teachers are still rooted in the mindset of like, oh, no, this is the traditional way. They must know the classics. They must know the history. And I don't believe that to be true. Yeah. Uh. On that topic, it sounds like it's a good time to bring up, uh, we've hit, we've brought up bringing in or amplifying voices of people in our classrooms. And Mm. I think that also comes with a balance. We haven't gotten into that too much. And I'm always scared of not doing enough of the work. And I don't want to rely on always having someone else come in and talk about, like, the topic. Like, for example, I am like, if you don't know, find out. Like, it's our responsibility to do the work. I don't want to ask someone from a Native American um, nation to have to always be the one that comes in and talks to my students about this particular type of art because... They should also hear something from me as well. Like I should be knowledgeable about it, but I've come to grow to think about it more as a balance. Like I think it is important for students to see and hear from people themselves, like from that Native American artist who has that experience and passed down knowledge and history. And that is really key and important versus me always being the position in power and like preaching to it. And that's been, that's been one of my personal struggles of finding that balance where I feel like I don't just want to call on a minority group to just take over. Okay, you do the work and you've always done the work. I'm like, that's not fair. That needs to be us. That's why I... It's hard because you can look at it. You can make an argument for either way. Yeah. And I just... I think you're right. I think it, it needs to come with balance because like having... I mean, we have, for example, we have in Kansas, you know, we have native american nations here and there is a group that represents um native americans um and the native american population of our students 
that can come and talk to schools and do per, do different activities and lessons with our students. And I love that that's a resource. I agree, like, it's a balance because we want to show that, like, we, like, we, well, that's a hard thing. I, mm-hmm. I It is hard. It's really hard. It's I don't want to rely on it either because at the same time, like, what we've, I've talked or what I've learned about in, over the past few years is, like, when you ask the person that is in the imbalance of power, like the the minority or the one that has been oppressed in the past or even currently, when you ask them to do the work, that's like putting more emotional labor on them, putting more, it's like, it's an, it's a perpetuation of the imbalance in power or like workload, mm-hmm. but especially if it's unpaid. Yeah, that's terrible, terribly problematic. Okay, keep going, sorry. But... <laughs> At the same time, like if you're going to teach about a topic and there's a, someone that is an expert above your expertise yeah. that you can reach out to as a resource, then it can create a more authentic experience for our students to understand better, to learn from a more direct source instead of through us, like you said, always being the one in like authority. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there's a level of like respect that that comes with for our students to like understand at a deeper level what they're talking about or what they're seeing. Yes, for sure. And that's why I think it comes back to balance because if, and I agree, I think that our former district has access to a lot of great resources like that. That's something that I, I'm clutching my heart because part of my journey here has been really grasping trying to grasp at straws trying to grasp at straws to find resources in the sound area that I can access for my students uh I think that it can get problematic when we're always just handing the mic off without having conversations with our students like if if we were to be like okay and and now today kids we're gonna listen to this person talk and like we give them no background we give them like we don't try to do the work we don't try to also prepare and uplift the voice that we're amplifying and we just pass the mic continuously where it does become emotional labor i think that's problematic and it can be hard to distinguish when we should pass the mic and when we shouldn't pass the mic and i i personally struggle with that where i i don't want to give the emotional labor all the time and I want to make sure I'm being helpful, but then I have to check myself and be like, wait, is it my turn to talk? I know, and that's okay. I need to step down and let this this person who does have more knowledge, more experience, and can give that authentic background and insight because they have those traditions passed down and they've maybe lived that experience. That's fantastic, and we should amplify yeah. that. But, like, we had that discussion about this podcast oh this episode prior to recording too we were talking about that topic yeah so we had that this discussion about this podcast episode like should we bring someone else on who has been a basically like could be a victim of cultural appropriation because they are part of a minority group whereas we are not part of a minority group so therefore like we are not victims of cultural appropriation So like speaking on this topic, we're coming from a place of privilege and we understand that. And then 
I was thinking we could, you know, maybe we could uplift someone else's voice and hear a different perspective from a place of a minority group, like from that might have a different perspective than us and like help us talk about this topic. But, and you, Corby made a great point about it too, is like, oh yeah, but we also should do the work and be able to talk about this without having to rely on someone from a minority group because that is making them do more labor. And I'm like, yeah, that's a really good point. But like, I feel like both have validity. Yeah. It's just, you're right. I think it is a balance. So maybe in the future we do bring someone on and we can talk about ways that we can, um, you, you know, avoid cultural appropriation, but we can do cultural appreciation and like ideas for that, but maybe not. Like, I don't know. It depends on if anyone's willing and wanting to do that because it is unpaid. After this conversation, Caitlin's talking about now that we had prior to this episode, I feel like the balance is more of my mindset, but I had to walk away from that conversation, Caitlin, and think about it too of like, oh man, should we bring someone on? Like maybe I'm not right. Maybe I am taking the mic too much and we should uplift another voice. But then I was like, no, I feel like in this situation, I had to think about it that way. In this situation, it does feel more of like, no, let's not bring someone in where it is almost like reinflicting a victimizing situation. Like that doesn't seem right for this time. Let's go ahead and share some resources that do amplify voices outside the art room. And that can be helpful for us art teachers. I think there are some really great things that are happening and timely that if you're interested, and we haven't even talked about this outside of the podcast, Caitlin and I, um, there's a really cool conference coming up and there's some great resources where you can have access to listen and this is a way of amplifying voices to hear directly from people to learn more about these topics. So you want to talk about that cool conference I mentioned? Yeah, let's talk about that conference. What is that? <laughs> okay, so I have been following a secondary art teacher. Okay, her Instagram handle is Flavia ZW H Wart, and we can also link that below. She's a fantastic resource. So our teacher is Flavia. She has created this conference. It's called Adding Voices Conference. Sorry, Adding Voices Art Ed Conference. And it is the only art ed conference that centers social justice and art educators where black, brown are part of the global majority. This conference is happening October 1st and 2nd. It is over a weekend and it's in Philadelphia. So if you're local to Philadelphia, you can register and go to it live. If you're not though, they are offering virtual options and the conference is centered around not just cultural appropriation, but so many topics on social justice, culturally relevant teaching. Uh, There's just different stories and narratives being shared by our educators who are black, brown, queer, all of these voices that are getting a chance to be amplified so that they can share knowledge to people who want to explore this topic. That's awesome. And you can do a virtual, like you can register for a virtual one? Yeah, I'm going to read off some of the topics. Oh, they're just in here. Okay, so some sample sessions include 
confronting racism at work, strategic self-advocacy for people of color, Atlantica, speculative fiction and radical black opulence. Uh, another one is learning to breathe. Underwater takes practice. The work of embodied anti-racism. Amplifying indigenous voices through the arts. Uh, another one is the impact of my lived experiences on teaching practice from an English language learner to a public school art teacher and PhD candidate. Sounds great. Yeah, there's such a beautiful range. Uh, there's one specifically on anti-racist teaching and culturally responsive teaching. Decolonizing Kiki, a remembering of self through creativity with the voice. Ooh, uh, developing a trauma-informed classroom culture. Oh, we all need that. Yeah, so, and the list just keeps going. So that's happening October 1st and 2nd. And also, if you're not able to go, I will make sure and link Flavia's account. She's a fantastic resource and our educator who's doing some really great things in this realm for secondary art teachers. And I mean, for elementary too, but she's a secondary art teacher. Um, she's a really great follow. Awesome. What's another thing that we talked about? Oh, we can link the culturally responsive scorecard again. And the anti-racist art teacher think that's a good mention because they have really good lessons on there too yeah they have great lessons and they have lots of research and like resources as a teacher for you to do some research so I if you go to anti-racist art teachers and then go to the anti-racist art resources tab if you scroll down there's a tab on cultural appropriation specifically oh yeah and there's they outline there's it really like, well. They do. And there's all sorts of, there's sub tabs under that, like articles and research, uh, all of these things, holidays and traditions, presentations, um, videos, etc. And in the articles and research, there's multiple, there's like one, two, three, four, there's 12 different articles and research um, papers that they have. So it's not just like, anti-racist our teachers are saying hey this is what a cult cultural appropriation is or this is our statement it's like here's all these resources for you to do some some research and figure out what it like you do the work basically yeah. and what it can look which like I really in your classroom yeah and what works in your classroom and i think that is really awesome and this one research article it it does, it talks about cultural appropriation, like what it is. Um, it does say like bring in authentic voices. This kind of goes back to what we were saying. It says it's important to find experts that know the history and background of objects and images to share with students. Having those voices be an integral part of the conversation provides valuable learning opportunities for students. While educators can impart knowledge in many areas, there's no replacement for someone's lived experience. Which I think is kind of what we were getting at. It's like, yeah. it, educators, we need to have the knowledge and like do our own research. But the value of someone's lived experience is huge. And if we can bring that into our classroom or show that 
um, like even if it's a virtual thing, um, like that's really powerful um, for our students. Yeah, and I do think if resources aren't available physically, like you aren't able to have an organization that has a working artist that can come talk to a classroom, uh, we're in a digital age, people. So having finding an artist talk or a clip on YouTube and using that even in the classroom, I think that that is huge because then students get to hear from that artist or hear from that mm-hmm. experience where that does also show too of the balance and being able to amplify the, that that other voice so it isn't just us continually trying yeah. to fill in the gaps. And there's lots of interviews on YouTube and other places. So like finding um, finding videos or clips of them, the artist actually speaking on their subject is, I think, like what you just said, I think that's really powerful, even if they can't come in person. But there's lots of interviews like art. I think it's, is it Art 21 that has a lot of interviews too? Yeah, that's a really great resource. And yeah. they do such a good job with doing short segments too like they'll break Mm -hmm. up their large episode or video or movie into smaller chunks so then you could just show like the five minute clip the six minute clip and keep it moving a little bit faster if that's more accessible or works more for your schedule or your um timeline of your lesson yeah i think we got into a lot of good discussions for today's episode. Uh, I know that this is a super, super big and large topic, but uh, I feel pretty good about it. How do you feel, Caitlin? Yeah, I think we have learned a little bit from each other and also like just our discussion. And um, hopefully, you know, if someone learns something, that's great. I'm just excited that we were able to talk about this. I think it was really important and it's good for everyone to continue this discussion and dialogue. So if anyone has something to contribute, you can find us at those art teachers on Instagram and post comment with us there, DM us. Love to hear some other resources too, if anyone has anything to share. Yeah. And I think I just hope people take away from this episode feeling a little more comfortable rethinking what's happening in their classroom and not being scared, but actually questioning, oh, am I, I might have the best intentions, but am I actually being helpful or am I being hurtful? So I know as we talked about that line is really thin, it can be really hard, but that's part of also doing the work. And I just hope that people feel motivated to really reflect and think about it and not be scared to keep moving forward with trying to do the work. Yes. And not to avoid diversity or anything in their art room, but to embrace it and just try to do, to learn more about how to do it with through like a culturally responsive lens possibly. And I'd like to point out that all of the things that we've mentioned are not actually funding this episode or actual sponsors. We are just citing people that we feel connected to, that we um, connect with for our personal art teaching and practice. And we hope that it helps you in your journey. Our actual sponsor for this episode is Pumpkin Spice Lattes. Because you need that little pick-me-up 
when your kinders are running around your carpet crazy. You need that pick-me-up when your eighth graders are showing you the weird clay objects that they've made that look a little questionable, but you have to pretend that they're not questionable. And take a sip of that pumpkin spice latte. Everything will be a-okay. Ah, the sip of fall. Oh my gosh. I actually <laughs> was having a rough day the other day and I went to a well-known coffee shop. I saw on the menu that pumpkin spice was back and I was like, oh dear Lord. And I got a pumpkin spice frappuccino oat milk with whipped cream. Oh, it saved my day. Like I had a great day after that. I think you and I talked after that yeah. and I was like having, I was just like you were firing lit. on all cylinders. <laughs> I'm thinking about getting a second one for today just because it's so good and it is such a great pick-me-up and I know it's the whitest thing about me and I will fully embrace that. Yeah, if they didn't know by looking at our picture, they would know after this. Yeah. <laughs> so, thanks for coming back, listeners, and you'll hear from us next time. Bye, not bye. Bye, not bye.